Hi, beautiful. I wanted to say hi before we jump into the episode itself and this talk with Martine. Um, this episode is really um, going deep into specific topics around uh, spirituality and religion. Um, all of these different phenomena that we've witnessed in the in you know a spiritual community and um, especially coming from a Christian Christian perspective. So uh, this episode most likely will resonate the most with those who um, have an experience with the church or some form of it or some form of Christianity, but also with other like, you know, spiritual um, communities as well. But what I want to underline here is that it does not matter what your background is. You are extremely welcome here. And my, my purpose with this platform is that it is an open space for everyone who is interested in coming into the, you know, participating in this discussion with respect and love. And this is a pr platform for women, mainly, <laughs> as we're talking about womanhood and femininity. And my, as you know, my goal is to help you fall in love with being a woman and these all of these things have to do with that and we're going to talk about um you know femininity as well and cultivating your femininity in 2022 but um yeah this is um an intense conversation but a really really fruitful and um jam-packed episode episode with so much goodness in it and i i was really grateful for martine and her her generosity with her time so again, as usual, uh, we would so appreciate if you could share this episode and send it to someone who might enjoy it as well and get something out of it. And, you know, let's just continue the discussion over on Instagram or wherever. You're always free to send me a DM and, and to Martine as well. But without further ado, let's jump into it. The only way that we can know if we are truly trusting in God as much as we say we are is if we stop trying to modify other people's behaviors and let them have agency to be able to do that. Welcome to the Vibrant Flow podcast. This is a podcast for the woman who wants to embrace and cultivate her femininity and level up in all areas of life while honoring her feminine essence. I'm Joanna, and some of you know me by the name Joem, and I'm an independent music artist, wife, a language enthusiast, among other things, and I'm on a journey in becoming the most vibrant expression of myself possible. Here, you will hear inspiring conversations and you'll get tangible tools in growing in your femininity. My mission here is to help you fall in love with being a woman. So, let's get started. I really quickly wanted to let you know that I have new episodes on my Patreon site. I just released a new one on what men need and how to become magnetic. And I just love this space. I mean, it's a new thing and I love the intimacy of it. And um, if you would like to join for more episodes that I'm only releasing over on there, then please consider joining my Patreon. You're also um, supporting this podcast and keeping it up when you join and we're also reading a feminine or femininity related book uh, together every month and we're starting this month with 
The Queen's Code by Alison Armstrong. And I'm so excited to read that book and see what it has to offer us. So if you'd like to get more of these episodes and support me while doing so, as well as get access to the book club and all of the bonus content that I'm creating over on there for you and your, by doing so, you also become my priority. Um, then go ahead and check out my Patreon. It's only like 9 euros to 15 euros a month, depending on the tier that you choose. And if you choose the highest tier, the irresistible vibrancy tier, then I'm also offering this month um, a femininity aspirations call with me so that we can like talk and connect and and see where you really want to head with your femininity journey and how I can support you while doing so. So I'm definitely over delivering but you know me that's what I do because I'm so excited and I love to create and I want you to fall in love with being a woman and that's what I'm here for and also especially for my recovering perfectionists who want to soften into receptivity that's what we're here to do and i really want to support you in that journey so um let's do this together you should definitely check it out i am so excited to build this with you and go ahead and check it out it's really easy to access that on your phone if you download the app okay gorgeous let's get back to the episode i'm excited to have this in-depth conversation about some topics that have been both on our guests and my heart for quite some time now. So if you haven't listened to the episode with Martine DeLuna that came some time ago, please do that where we go into her story and how she started to work as a feminine living mentor and what her story is mm. behind that. But I'm excited to well, welcome Martin back to the pod and we'll get into some um, intense topics today. So welcome, Martin. How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you, Joanne. It's good to be back recovering and healing from this ordeal. Um, yeah, but totally, totally excited for what we're going to talk about today. Yes, absolutely. So we'll just go straight into it. So let's do it. Yes, absolutely. So what we're going to talk about relates to faith, to religion, new age, and how we relate to Mm. God, how we relate to church and, and, and topics like church hurt, and our feminine identity and masculine frame that um, God provides and all of that. So let's go into the first, first topic, which is faith and new age. So Mm. how do new age concepts play a role in the femininity space the way you've noticed and observed throughout these years that you've been very active there? And Mm -hmm. why do we, for example, need to be careful not to not to be like naive, but also not to demonize mm. words, for example, such as oh yeah, and yeah, where where does that come from? Like when we start to be fearful of using mm. a word, for example. Yeah, well, I spoke about that on like an IG live a couple of weeks back, and that was really coming from a conversation with other women in the femininity space who are also in in the case of myself and and you believers in Jesus right so I want to differentiate from like um, those who are following the way of Christ um, and those who 
are framing how they follow Christ within like denomination, within religion, um, and so on. So um, I, my history is that I came from a very evangelical slash Roman Catholic upbringing. So I was mm. on the worship team. I did the whole like purity culture upbringing and I was raised in that, you know, in the early uh, 2000s, late 90s. So we were there in the thick of things, me, my husband, the friends that I grew up with. So my frame in coming into the new age, my version of it was not like the femininity space. It was more of like the stoic, masculine, Zen meditation, Mm, Joe Dispenza, mm -hmm. you know, like arena. And for me, um, what I found in that space was kind of like the, um, I've always been like a person, even when I was a Catholic charismatic Christian, I was always looking to up level, like this whole, like, let's, 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 be our next level selves sort of thing in the motivational space. So that was what I naturally polarized into after coming from, you know, being a worship leader, being a servant leader, being a, you know, member of the, the band, the worship band and all the things. Right. So I went into the space of personal growth because I had always been the kind of girl that was reading all like the Christian books, the Christian personal development books, John Maxwell, you know, you know how it yes. is, right? Um, <laughs> I yeah, was just looking. I have John a John Maxwell. Maxwell I literally have a John Maxwell book right next to me. There, yeah, so. I love it. My, I mean, just just as an aside, my favorite book is still Failing Forward. I mean, from the early two thousands. So um, yeah, so I went into personal development, and I didn't categorize it as New Age at all. For me, it was like oh, personal growth, all like you know, like walking on fire, you know, well, I never did go to Tony Robbins, right. But, (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. I was right into like that motivational, masculine, um, scale the mountain, climb the mountain kind of analogy of new age. Um, I didn't really get into the femininity space way later, like um, 2017, 2018, because that's when I started to work with a feminine coach. Um, a feminine business coach, uh, to be specific. And I loved it. I just like another like aspect of me opened up, but that's when I also got into like the moon and like um, cycle syncing with your menstrual cycle, which um, it can get a bit new agey, but it isn't, you know, because that's our biology. Yes. Um, I got into tarot. I got into learning about oracles and transmissions and all of the things that are familiar in the feminine embodiment space. Um, didn't really get into the tantra and um, the pleasure space, but I was, I was on the way there. What I noticed, the difference between the motivational, highly masculine, stoic space and the femininity space was there was no synergy between them. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the, what I noticed in the femininity space was a resistance to like this, you know, the motivation and the personal growth um, category of like what it meant to be spiritual. It was like, oh, you know, that's so structured, you know, feminine is all about flow and all about receiving and leaning back and all the things. So 
having come from like the motivational space and then being attracted to the femininity space, I also couldn't see, I, I also couldn't see the congruence between the two. It's like they're purposely opposing each other. Mm, right. Mm, yeah. So, but, but then I loved it because I loved being around women. I loved being around at the time, you know, like the good witch energy. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, like spells and like yes, entry yeah. level manifestation and all of the things. It was so chic, like spiritually chic. And my mm. feminine expression was tiltillated because I mean, we are, we crave beauty. We crave, you know, like creativity. I mean, that's who we are because we're core feminine beings. So that awakened that part of me. And then I tried to dabble in but never got into like the Tantra sexual pleasure activation, pleasure alchemy stuff. But I was always seeing like um, women who didn't have like a strong relationship or integration with the masculine. So like they couldn't scale their business, which I had been able to do because I've been a coach since 2012. Right. So I was very familiar with, um, Yes, you can be ladylike and feminine in terms of I have always been a mom, a homemaker, but I was seeing like there was a lack of integration in the femininity space, sometimes not all, but some practitioners with creating results, right, right, creating results. And as a person who, you know, I am a entrepreneur, that's where I was seeing the incongruence and then in the motivation space, even among women who are, you know, like case in point, Mel Robbins, she's a woman, but she's in that highly motivational, yes. you know, like, yeah, definitely. Like, boom, Fuck boom, 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 five, four, three, two, one. There's, yes, exactly. there's also a lack of embodiment there. So I was like, God, where's the middle? Like who is in the middle? And that's actually when I learned and I accepted that Jesus actually integrates both right. perfectly. The perfect blend of, you know, we are fully human and we have all the expressions and all the sensations and all the emotions and we get to experience and feel that. But he also modeled what it meant to have frame and purpose and mission, mm. right? He never diverted from that. And, and so I was telling you earlier that Jesus came to me when I was trying to study Zen meditation, right? <laughs> you know, and that was like, I was in like 2018, 2019. And I was um, in this program by a really high level coach who was teaching um, this type of meditation. Um, and then Jesus came like in a vision and in meditation, you don't have visions. It's about like tuning out, right. Reaching a frequency. But he came and said, Martine, we got to talk a bit. Go open your Bible that you haven't opened up in 10 years and come to me, right? And um, opening up my Bible was like opening up that part of my femininity, that vulnerability that was so scared to open up to God again, right? And um, that's when I started to see that all of these things actually, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this maybe with some Christians, right? God, Jesus will find a way, even if you're not seeking his way on purpose. Right. So I was mm -hmm. seeking meditation. I was seeking enlightenment. I was seeking, you know, what the Buddha said to achieve. Right. Right. But God found me there. Jesus 
found me there. Mm. And that's when I started to realize, you know, like there are no words and appropriations that belong to the new age or belong to Christianity. The thing is that the beliefs and the empirical evidence around Jesus, which I would say, you know, the the Christians, they try to co-opt it, but it's really bigger than that. They don't own it either. Like Jesus is Jesus. He is for everybody. Mm, Right. And I don't want to go into like the church history and the church empire too much. Um, Let's recommend my friend's podcast for that, Joel Brown's podcast for that stuff, you know, like um, the unknown God. But basically, I came to learn that through through studying church history and Christian, uh, the Christian history, that certain words became categorized as just being Christian, like God. God right. is not a Christian word, but right. the Christians seem to try and co-opt it as just ours or theirs. Yes. And in the same way, like the new age tries to co-opt it and say, no, God is like the source. You don't call him God because that's like the patriarchal word. Mm. Right. So there's this like battle between who's more right in claiming who God is. But the thing is, God belongs in God does not belong in any category or any box that we as humans try to put him in. Right. He's way above and beyond that. And if we study apologetics, we know that to be true, right? Anthropologically, we've tried to, as human beings, understand the nature of God. But the only way we really understand that is if we don't box him in to, oh, he is only owned by the Christians, their version of God right? Oh, he's only owned by like the new agers and their version of God and source and infinite intelligence, right? No, we're, we are creative beings. So we've gotten to create all of these categories, but at the end of the day, our job, and if you guys have watched that movie, the matrix, our purpose is to break out of all of that and go (laughs) into direct relationship. And then the words don't have to be owned by one party or another yes we yeah. can just go and relate to god as father just because he is father mm, we can relate mm. to jesus as our masculine because he is the masculine right um so yeah so that was just my little i did a little rant on no that was beautiful that was beautiful because Absolutely. because i was like let's, what are we doing here? We're falling into the trap of divide and conquer. Yeah. That, um, you know, this, this reality has us fighting Mm. when really, um, what God wants for us. And when I talk about God, I talk about God in relation to how I have known him through the person of Jesus, right. Who took on humanity and divinity, Right. right. And, um, that's how I've come to know and relate with God and father. And, um, it's been so freeing because I used to have a, a Bible and a chapter and verse for everything, trying to defend how right I was. But mm. now I see the Bible as, um, a, you know, it, it, it is the breathed and inspired word of God, but I don't want to use it as a dagger 
Right. right. Which was a term that one of my friends and mentors, Pastor Marcos used. He's like, a lot of us, we try to use the Bible as a dagger to defend how right we are about God. But Jesus offers a more a different model. He used the Bible, but he didn't use it to attack somebody else's point of view. Mm. He used it to reveal the truth. Right. And the, the relationship that we get to have with mm. God and Father. Yeah. So, yeah, um, certain words don't belong to certain sects and uh, categories. And once we realize that, then we get to live and move in the world with less judgment and less um, fear of screwing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, a, lot, a lot of us, we like um, when we become a Christian, we like we fear just sinning left and right. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. And screwing up. Right. But um, what I've come to learn in relationship is that, yeah, we're going to screw up. That's, that's what we are. We're human beings. <laughs> and to trust that even if we do screw up, we do have a father that we can go to God as father that we can go to Jesus as our divine masculine. I mean, if there is a divine masculine, he is it. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, That we can go to pray to commune with um, imperfect as we are and learning to embody more of his character. Right. Right. Not being afraid of sinning left and right. Mm, Yes. Yeah. That living in fear and judgment, that is definitely something that a lot of people um, have struggled with and being in that cage, essentially. Right. It is a cage. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is. And this is something like, you know, with, with words that, cause you, I've seen a lot of like um, people from that are, that are call themselves Christian or are in relationship with God mm. uh, started to like express fear when it comes to words or even like, mm. this is my personal experience, which has frustrated me a lot with uh, people, <laughs> people around me, my family, members or friends or whatever my um church friends or whatever um because i come from scandinavia western society and we've i've noticed that we've had this weird fear of everything that is for example oriental fear oh, of yeah. fear of things that aren't just you know western in some way mm, appropriated yeah, in our cultural history and which is weird because we should know that for example the bible is not a western book yeah (laughs) it's um, it's actually not it's a it's a middle eastern (laughs) yeah exactly so all these things like oh my gosh like i've like i've heard all everything like don't do pilates because the guy um um, (laughs) was inspired by yoga and yoga comes from this and that or don't do yoga because the poses are like you're worshiping something yeah it's just like don't do movements don't use words that come from (laughs) this and that you know and that's just yeah i get it it felt like like insulting my intelligence in a sense because Mm. we should understand that you can't say that a movement or a pose or a word is owned by yeah this whatever that is that we fear and yeah, the fear, right? So, yeah. yeah, that's um, 
one of the, and, and first I want to preface this section of our conversation with, we're not saying something's right or wrong, right? We want to point people to their own agency and relationship with God yeah, to make yeah, their discernment. Definitely. So that has to be like, like lesson number one in discernment. It's like, where is your agency coming from? Is it, if we're going to be Christian about it, um, is it coming from a place of um, how Christ would have viewed the situation? So Jesus, if, if, if we're to be biblical about it, Jesus came across all sorts of like, if we're going to use the word pagans, you know, like the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, right? I mean, she was not of his faith, but she is one of my favorite stories of someone who got to know Jesus without Jesus forcing anything on her. Mm -hmm, yeah, like the woman yeah. at the well, you know, she was a yeah. Samaritan woman. So that by virtue of who she was, was an unclean person that they could yes, associate yeah. with, right? And so sometimes we step into that fear because um, we don't want to screw up. We don't want to screw up. But um, one of these um, uh, pastors that I follow on Instagram, Justin Koo, he said um, something really freeing um, in one of his uh, messages on Instagram. And if I can just pull it up, um, it, it was something about like, if we are afraid like every day that we are going to sin, then we're actually making the sin. We don't understand sin as being a, as, as being a heart problem, not a behavior problem. So he's like, a lot of us were concerned about modifying people's behaviors because we think the behavior is the sin, but really the sin is the heart. Like, so when, um, this is why I don't judge people who choose to do yoga. I don't, I personally only did yoga because it was like a recommendation of my doctor to do while I was in eczema recovery because mm -hmm. ex, you know, eczema patients, you can't do like harsh workouts. It's going to yeah, make you like yeah. break out. And so for me, it was like, I'm not, I wasn't doing it like to worship Hinduism or anything, right. but my heart was in a place of, okay, I trust my doctor. I trust my practitioner to guide me in my path to like whole and integrative healing. Mm. Right. So that's when I started to learn that when we want to change people's behaviors, we're trying to be God over them instead of looking at our hearts and fixing the problem in our hearts, which mm. is a trust problem. Um, so uh, Justin Koo, so Pastor Justin Koo was saying that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from an evil heart. And the only way that we can know if we are truly trusting in God as much as we say we are, is if we stop trying to modify other people's behaviors and let them have agency to be able to do that, regardless of what we think. And so that's why, um, that's why some people ask me, hey, why don't you put like more scripture in like your posts and everything? I'm like, because I know that there's a time and a place for that. Right. right. And for, right. and for me, the way I express how I, you know, like to borrow a phrase from evangelicalism witness to Jesus isn't necessarily in having a Bible verse for everything, but in having a moment to witness a person, that's how I feel like Jesus, because of my relationship with him wants me to relate to another person. So I'm not going to go and say, Hey, why are you 
uh, wh why are you wearing like spaghetti straps? <laughs> you know, like that's not very <laughs> modest. I'm like, who am I to say that's a matter of my heart, not the person's clothes. Or I can't go up to say to somebody and say, why are you doing yoga? Right? Like, don't you know, like, like within me, I could be saying that, but it's not my place to go up to a person and correct their behavior when my heart is not seeing what I need to correct, like in my behavior, you know? So um, it goes back to what Christ said in, um, before you comment on the splinter on, a per on another person, why don't you notice the rod in your eye? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It all, <laughs> there's just wisdom in everything that he says, right? So um, that's my stand on, you know, people who make an argument about cultural appropriation and like everything oriental is, you know, like the yin and yang is, is evil. I'm like, come on. How would you like it if somebody told you <laughs> that your, I don't know, your, your pioneer bonnet was like rooted in paganism yeah. or that your version of Christianity was rooted in paganism? Because, I mean, if we look at church history and historical evidence, a lot of how we've known Christianity is from the Plato Greek model which yep. was of a God that was modeled after pagan roots. Yes. When I found that out, I'm like, that is so liberating <laughs> because that means that we can have a relationship with God that is direct. It doesn't have to be something that you earn because you had good behavior. Mm. Right. And sometimes, and I think that's yours and my rant against people who are just very judgmental about you know, if people are doing yoga or if people are using traditional Chinese medicine, which, you know, like there's nothing inherently sinful about those things. Yes. Culture is beautiful. Culture is the capacity of human beings to create different expressions because God has made us creative. So who are we to say that, oh, your culture is less Christian than my culture? It's just... Mm. It, so it goes back to like what Pastor Justin Koo was saying. It's like, look at the heart first. Why are you correcting people? Are you correcting them because you don't the, trust that God is moving in that person's life as much as he's moving in yours? And, um, you know, I mean, if we're going to go all empirical evidence here, I mean, the earliest expressions of Christianity were actually not a West, but they were actually... Um, Asian, Middle Eastern, yes. and South Af and, and African, right? So um, a pastor friend told me that too, right? So so he said like the argument really isn't how how Christian are you being because what it really means is how Western Christian are you being? Which you know if we go back through history, it was the dominant expression, right? I mean that's why missionaries were sent to the third world to convert savages like me. Mm, <laughs> you know? mm. right but um if we go through like the annals of christian history before the missionaries came over to the oriental cultures and to the african nations and to the indian nations people there were already documented to have had experiences of jesus they just didn't have the word or the identity for it you know i mean right. this is a right. long conversation but you know just to go back to your point of just because somebody's practicing yoga does not mean that they don't love Jesus. <laughs> They've just yes. not had the conviction to 
practice stretching or that type of exercise in another way. So it's not our place to like point, oh, that's, you know, you know mm, to come from yeah. that uh, behavioral modification type of type of mindset. Right. 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 Um, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I hope that answered. Yeah, like definitely. Definitely. Question. Thank you for going into that in length. I, I absolutely it's very in depth. Yes. Yes, definitely. Definitely. And like words like energy, like we've talked about, like how (laughs) a lot of um, my sisters and brothers in Christ have been like, don't use that word. Like, no, 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 no. What are we going to use though? (laughs) Because energy is an English word that is a universal language that has a universal meaning, not just mm -hmm. a categorical or religious meaning. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's like it's in physics. It's a reality. We talk about physics. Yeah, energy. frequency and vibration yeah. are words in physics. Yes, exactly. Yes, they're not like owned <laughs> owned by some. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's get into the topic of church hurt, which which was actually a new term well in english it was a new term that yeah. i learned some like a year ago perhaps but it really spoke to me immediately and i think mm. that in itself uh, is telling in a lot of ways oh, yeah. that i could I, I was immediately like yeah i yeah i get it i get it and i have a lot me of too. friends who in their 20s now have been struggling with it a lot mm. Mm. And there, there isn't a lot of like understanding around this. There isn't, yeah, you're either you're losing your way or you're, you're sticking to what you knew. Like there's yeah. no, there's no, in there's no middle ground. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how do like church hurt and new, like on the other end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. new age relativism, both can like try and rob us of our true feminine um, identity. Oh, yeah. What is your experience with all of this? Well, my experience would be that, um, and and this is a conversation that I've been having, like with a couple of my uh, close friends who are also like believers in Jesus, trying to follow the way, follow the, uh, follow the Bible, um, was that because we came from, well, I personally came from church hurt this friend of mine i think you're gonna have juliet over soon right she came from yeah, communism yeah yes yeah, <laughs> yeah we actually uh, had a talk yesterday yeah yeah so she came from communism mm. and when we were talking about so she grew up in communist china of all places right and and i was i grew up in like strict fundamental christianity evangelical bible-based christianity right so when we were talking about like the comparisons between how we grew up we both experienced a similar type of hurt from whatever empire we belonged to so she had never known like god or christianity because it's not allowed in a communist country but in her experience the religion was communism in my experience the religion was this version of christianity that i was in in the church that i was in as we all know, there's like like 300,000 types of expressions of Christianity, right? Depending on the church that you're in. So um, we both experienced different experiences of trauma, but 
what was familiar was the kind of wound that was created by that trauma. And that can be similar, a similar kind of like um, experience that we have in church hurt or in some either kind of collectivism uh, way of living, which was her experience. So I just wanted to like provide that frame for this answer because hurt can look like, um, can look different, the expressions can be different, but the effect can be the same on the person. So what I found was uh, in common with me and her, her being raised in communism and me being raised in a very strict evangelical fundamentalist upbringing was that if you didn't conform, then you were out of character or approval with that institution. So like communism wants you to conform to make the government the God. In my church, they wanted you to conform to make, um, well, for a time, sexuality after marriage was the God, not really God. You know, like we'll talk about purity culture a little bit later. But for me, my experience of uh, church hurt was um, in particular not being able to meet the standards that the elders in my church had set for all young people, which was very rigorous if I were you know, to, to use a word. So we weren't allowed to date. We weren't allowed to have feelings for the opposite sex. If you did, then you were categorized as, you know, like you're not a hundred percent for God <laughs> and all of the other things, you know, I don't want to get into specifics, but basically that gives you a gist of how, they wanted conformity among members. Mm. And in communism, that was also similar. According to my friend, she's like, in communism, they want the collective to look and act a certain way. And the government is the God over there, right? So it was very similar, right? Conformity. There was no respect for individual expression. Like if you weren't conformed to the identity of the church, you were less than. So that was my personal experience of church hurt. Um, I was made to feel wrong for having creative expressions or wanting to like express myself through like, um, you know, how I dress. And I, I didn't even dress like anything provocatively. It's just that, you know, that I have a personality like mm -hmm. when I have clothes. So it was getting to a point where I didn't know it or I felt like it was wrong to have a personality, right? And it was wrong to have romantic feelings before you were the age of like 20 or how, however old you were when you finished um, like college. I think in, in my church, the criteria was unless you're finished with college or unless you're working, you cannot have romantic feelings for other people. Um, I found that strange because mm, what was mm. I to do as a teenager with all of these emotions and this yes. biology of mine, yeah, right? Yeah. And um, and for me, the, the hurt that was caused was really a distrust in who I was as a human being, right? So that was very damaging because mm. that that like finds its way into your adult relationships and you don't have agency over things and you feel like you can't make decisions on your own because when you were younger, everything had to be submitted to your elder for discernment or for a decision. Um, sorry for being so heavy, but you know, I mean, that was no, no, my no. 
That's good. lived experience, right? And so what I had to go, well, the reason why I swung into personal development and into self-mastery when I left the church is because I felt I didn't have any of that. It was very scary for me to step out of like having pastors and elders over me and to just be like under the cover of my husband. Cause I left when we got married, when we got right. married, um, my husband and I decided to leave the church that we had grew up in, right. Grown up in. Right. And, and then that was the first time we were navigating our personalities on our own agency. Right. Um, and that can, you know, like for some of my friends who have been through what we call deconstruction, which is typically what happens to ex-church goers who leave, right. leave you know, they deconstruct. Yes. Um, my experience was um, I, I had deconstructed, but at the end of it, I came to appreciate God more and the identity of having a father more and the identity of relating to Christ as my divine husband more, right? I, I did not get that when I was growing up in this frame of what church was for me, just because there was so much trauma that had been done unintentionally. I mean, I know that the church that I grew up in, they were doing it to the best of their abilities for what they were interpreting as God's will right. for their community, right? And um, and that's why I have no bitterness or regret. I'm not one of those like ex-church goers that just lambasts all the churches, <laughs> you know, because that's not it. Every church has its flaws. Every community has its flaws, whether you're in the new age and you find a collective to be a part of, or you're in, in church culture and you find a church to be part of. There is no perfect community. Um, and it's, it doesn't mean that just because you had church hurt that you shouldn't go back to a church. Right. It means allowing yourself to have this relationship with God so that you can make a decision based on what your relationship with God reflects back to you. Right. right. Um, yeah. So I, that's my experience of it with relativism. I did what, what, didn't work for me in relativism was that there was no end to the discovery. It was always getting more healing or getting more activations, but there was no, there was no purpose. There was no end to it with um, believing in God and putting my belief in Jesus. It provided a frame and a container for this expansion and this personal growth that I get to do as a person, as a human being on this planet, it provided that. Um, and it wasn't like the, the journey of relativism where you just go by what you feel that day, right? Um, there is a peace and a, um, a rest when we rest in truth. Right. And that's what relativism and new age did not give me. Cause it felt like I just needed more healing. I need another ritual. I need another activation. Um, and I, yeah. And I had something to compare that to cause I had grown up and experienced God in small ways in church. I mean, I'm not going to say I never experienced God in Christianity because I did and I do. Right. But I would say that my 
expression and experience right now of Christianity is more of relationship over religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which can be hard for some people to understand because I call myself a a Christian in that I'm a believer in Christ, but I don't identify with like a denomination, a certain church. I do have a community that I study the Bible with, and um, I do have like spiritual mentors who are um, pastors. Th- this new breed of pastors who are not your, <laughs> let's just say, celebrity pastors but men of God who are just concerned with providing a frame and an environment for people to dwell on Jesus and on his word. Right. Right. So it's a new Mm. thing. And, um, and for me, that's just at this time in my life and journey, the healthiest expression of how I get to know God and my feminine because in, in my lens, the feminine is us, the human, you know, human beings in relation to God. For me, the feminine finds rest in that, you know, in that we can relate directly to God as father. We can relate directly to Jesus if we are looking for a mask. There's no inner masculine in us. It's always in relation to um, who God is. Um, so I found rest. I didn't need to learn any more feminine embodiment practices. I didn't need to learn any more about my inner masculine, although I, I did start to get into that in 2019. Um, it just ended when I said, okay, I just want the truth and I just want rest right. and I just want peace. Mm. Right. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's my experience from church hurt and confusion and relativism to where it is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for going into that. Mm. So in relation to everything you just said, because I know you talk about feminine freedom. What, yeah. does, that, what does that mean? Well, in practical terms, what is feminine freedom? And perhaps in relation to that, even what is the fallen Eve complex that I know you've oh, yeah. mentioned in your <laughs> I love that. Post? Yeah. Well, we get into that like in Women's Month in March in our feminine and free container. <laughs> That's some the 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 fallen Eve template is um, it's basically a frame of how of uh, that I use with my clients to explain how our identity is like without a frame of God, right? So we all know the story of Eve. Mm-hmm. The story of Eve is told by all faiths and religions and even atheists know what it is, right? Why is that? Because there's some truth, there, there's some unexplainable truth to that story that tells the story of humanity. Right. And the story of humanity has always been, and I think Dr. Jordan Peterson said this, the story of humanity has always gone home to some union between the masculine and feminine. And he did, I, I forget the actual talk that he discusses this, this in, but he has a talk that compared all of the world religions and faiths, and all of them have a common denominator in that they all have a version of the Adam and Eve story, because that's how the that's how this reality operates. There's always a masculine and a feminine aspect to anything, not just male or female, but masculine and feminine. Anyway, so for me, when we're operating like a fallen Eve. We're operating um, 
in the way that Eve, as she is documented, was operating. So she was created to be taken care of, to be cherished, to be loved. If if you go through apologetics and the study of scriptures, theologians and biblical scholars will say that, um, you know, God created woman as a addition to a creation that he had already made, you know, man, he created man to be able to relate to, but then he saw, oh, like man would actually be more complete. I, I don't have the right words for it, but essentially would be more complete if he had a counterpart that was directly and polarized to the other aspect of him. So right. softer, um, able to be, you know, able to bear children and all of that. So that's what woman is. And Eve, when she was created, all she actually needed to do was to exist in her purpose, you know, to be provided with love, support, um, provision, everything was taken care of. She would just have babies and be happy. (laughs) But that wasn't enough for her. And she's an archetype of what we are always learning as human beings is that if we have this direct relationship with the creator, then we are actually always being provided for. Of course, there are certain conditions and environments that have been created to make this world function in a certain way, like societies were formed, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we work, we have money, we have homes, we build things and all of that. But if we were going to go back to our original design, Um, we were just meant to live in nature and operate in the ecosystem of this planet. But that's not what happened. What happened with Eve was she wanted to know more as if there was more to know. And some scholars say, you know, we don't actually know if there was more to know. It's just that she didn't go according to how she was designed. She distrusted how she was designed. And for those of us who are in the feminine, in relation to God, a lot of us go through that journey too. I mean, I went into new age and into all areas of like humanism and personal growth, because I was, you could say, being that Eve type of personality. I'm like, that's not enough to know that a God loves me is not enough. So I'm going to seek for it in like all of the things, all of the modalities that I tried out in relativism and humanism. And so um, when I work with clients, I bring them back to that identification. Are we being Eve? Are we just like trying to seek to know more? Really, there's nothing more to know. There's just the journey of trust and faith and receiving, being penetrated by the, uh, the masculine in terms of provision and protection, right? Um, so what I do in feminine and free, which is the, you could say it's my branding for what I do with women, right, is supporting them in letting go of a lot of the stories that have kept us bound and not free. So like, I have to work hard or like, I have to be more or I have to be perfect or mm-hmm. I have to look a certain way. All of that is from that Eve complex that doesn't trust and instead step into an identity of I am already provided for. 
I am created to be a woman. I am created to love beauty. I am created to be cherished. And if I'm not in that identity, then I'm unconsciously pushing away, like, let's say a man who wants to step in and be my lover and, you know, be committed to me, right? So a lot of us, um, and I was saying this in the group earlier. So and, and when I say group in Telegram, I, I, I dropped a message there and I said, we also have to understand that men are going through this journey as well. Yeah. The men that we're married to or that are our fathers, we have to understand that they are coming from a generation that was already hijacked by feminism and by all of these humanist ideas and all of the layers and identities that we're trying to deal with right now. And so it's not like men are against us or there's no manly men or there's no masculine men. No, we're all going through this unlearning together. Even the guys, even our, our men, they're learning to be men and what it's like to be an exalted Adam versus the fallen Adam. I mean, that's their own path. You know, there's a lot of jokes around Adam being like a beta male, right? <laughs> but that's actually, that's actually simplifying it. Um, it's also a reflection of what our masculine counterparts, our men are going through. They're learning to be leaders. They're learning to unlearn the programming that they got from overprotective mothers. <laughs> Right. Right. They're unlearning the programming that they got from uh, culture, just wanting to deaden them with video games and drugs and drinks and alcohol and porn. They're going through their own alchemization, too, and just as much as we are. Right. And so for me, like being feminine and free is sticking to our lane as women. Right. Like sticking to our lane. Let's not try to save the guys. <laughs> You know, a lot of a lot of feminists try to save the men. I'm like, stop that. You know, it's like that's what brought us into this like problem situation that we are in right now. Right. And that's why there's so much attraction into the femininity space. And then this growing masculinity space that I love so much, too. Mm, mm. Right. It, because we are all individually finding our freedom in how we were designed. It's going to take a while. Yeah. It took a generation to create the generation that we have now. And I always tell women, if you don't see change in your lifetime, will you still be committed to being feminine and being free? Right. Yeah. Like I tell the mothers, mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, so your husband's not as masculine as you want him to be. Are you still going to be committed to this marriage? Right. Are you still going to be committed to the mission to being a feminine woman and stop blaming your husband for not being masculine? Because we get that, right? We get that. We're like, oh, why can't he be like more macho? Or why can't he be more like alpha? That's on you, girl. <laughs> you know, that's not his problem, right? It's yours. So to be feminine is cultivating your own womanhood, cultivating your surrender, not trying to manipulate God in changing your man, trusting that your man will find his own journey. And can you love him? Even right. if you never see evidence of what your ideal is, an alpha masculine man. Right. Yes, yeah, right? exactly. So for me, that's what being feminine and free is. So stick to your lane as a woman. Try not to take on Eve and try to manipulate and find out if the, is there more, but just trust that God's taking you on your individual journey. I mean, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
Did that answer it? <laughs> that, did, that definitely answered my question. And I just enjoyed listening to you because it, um, it really resonates with me as well. And that, mm. that, you know, being in that Eve complex and just being mm. pushing essentially goes into the pushing and the striving yeah. and the, ah, uh, and the, you, you right. know, staying in that, it's not good. Like I can't trust, I have to push because it's on me. Mm. And yeah, it's all in, that's what she thought. It's yeah. all on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's no rest in that purpose and, and um identity that we have, mm. which is the perfect alignment when we talk about being in yes. alignment. Right. Yes, so absolutely. I, that is that is it. So um very briefly before we move on to um, the masculine frame and why we need it. Um, is there anything mm. you would like to expand on relating to the purity culture as we uh, oh, yeah. mentioned it? Yeah. So, um, so this relates back to what we talked about earlier on church hurt. Mm. Um, one of the, one of the things that I want to frame this part of the conversation with is this is not to say that I'm for young people and single people being sexually active in terms of sleeping around mm, before yeah, yeah. a committed marriage, right? That's yeah, just not exactly because for a lot of like, um, sorry to say, but I mean, there's a lot of like liberal views and progressive Christian views that are like, oh, sex is just a human appetite. It's not. No, we go into biology and we go into psychology. Sex is a pair bonding. Mm. I mean, it bonds you not just on a physical level, but on a mental and emotional level. Yes, exactly. Right. So we're not for casual sex. We're not for sexual experimentation and trying people on as much as possible before you settle down. Um, yes, I am for uh, dating. I think dating is great, just not casual sex mm. because of the pair bonding, yes. you know, and uh, pair bonding, that isn't, you know, like, that's um, a, you can study that within psychology and the nature of sexual relationships, okay? So there's science that proves that when people bond through sex, there is a bonding on a psychological, an emotional, a behavioral, and a mental level. Yeah, yeah. Right? So let's not conflate it to just, oh, you know, like... Um, it's just because the Bible says that you shouldn't have sex before marriage. No, there's also empirical evidence of why we should preserve ourselves for a committed lifelong, ideally lifelong relationship with somebody else because pair bonding and sex choosing, being able to have sex with the same person that we have willfully chosen is actually the best sex you can have. <laughs> yes. It is, you know, it makes you, you, you grow in attraction with one another. And I was just asking my husband, like, um, cause we were talking about this last night. I'm like, we we're talking about purity culture and how we were raised. And, um, he said something very enlightening and he said, um, you know, like there's a, there's a reason why like I'm still attracted to you. And we've been together for like 20 years. Right. And it's only grown. And it's because we had decided to be committed that, Hey, I'm going to have a piece of that. Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> that's that's what staying pure essentially means is like 
are you going to open yourself up to like a buffet of random people versus I get to have this anytime I want to. Right. Mm. All day, anytime. So that's what marriage is. It contains that pair bonding, that biological response that grows mentally, physically, sexually, emotionally with, you know, that long-term commitment versus just like, you know, like don't have sex before marriage because it, 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 what, what I had with purity culture was there was no permission to talk about biology, about the psychology of sex and the psychology of waiting, what that does for the human body and the potential future relationship. There was none of that. There was just like, Oh, it says in Second Timothy and Ephesians and Corinth, First Corinthians, you know, like you just shouldn't have sex before marriage. It was just, mm. but as human beings, we're meant to relate with one another. We're meant to ask questions and we're meant to have embodied conversations with people. And so I don't essentially think that what purity culture is saying is wrong. Like maybe the, you know, the, the unbiblical practices are definitely damaging. Like I, there's nowhere in how Jesus modeled, um, you know, living in accordance with his commands that says you should have fathers put rings on their daughter's finger so that the daughters promise them that they're going to stay a virgin. That doesn't exist. Yeah. So why do we perpetuate practices that are not rooted in how Jesus embodied how we were supposed to live? Of right. course, he was single. He never married. Right. And I've, I've always asked God, you know, and I've asked theologians. like, So he wasn't married. What does that say? And they always say, well, his purpose was not just to preach to married people and like single people. It was just to embody the character of God. That's who he was. And so we have agency to, you know, like discern if I sleep with this person, am I going against something moral, something ethical, something against biology, against, um, against truth? Because the truth of the matter is when you have sex, you can get pregnant and you can have a child. And, you know, like, how do you want to bring in that life to the world? So um, I forget which theologian. I'm friends with a lot of people who are in theology. But he says, you know, that's how we make a decision. Is it ethical to sleep with another person, just any random person? Right. No. Is it moral to just go and sleep with any other person and try them on? No, because of the pair bonding. You, you bond yourself hormonally, psychologically, yeah. hormonally with another person. Is it, um, is it against biology, right? Again, going back into the science of it. So we don't talk, we, we didn't talk about these things when I was being raised in purity culture. I, I, I got all of that in the last 10 years. <laughs> You know, so my gripe with what's happening right now is there are these interpretations of what purity looks like, but it's not against these essential, you know, like aspects of how we are supposed to make embodied human decisions, right? So um, 
that's why I did a post on Instagram. I'm like, why don't we in our churches talk about masculinity and femininity? Why don't we do that? That's a good question. I've been wondering <laughs> that myself. Yeah. And in, in, and in connection to that, why don't we talk about biology and psychology of sex? Because I feel like if we did, just like I taught myself, I, and I was already married when I unlearned everything that was damaging about like um, purity culture, right? Um, I was already married, but then I came to understand, okay, so th this is what they're trying to say. This is what they're trying to say that, you know, like sex within marriage is good. This is what they're trying to defend, but it's not being taught. All that's being taught is don't have sex before marriage and don't have sexual thoughts before marriage. Um, there's no direction or container for those things. And so young people get confused. And if it I'm was frustrated. anything like me, yeah, I, I was frustrated with all the sexual feelings that I was feeling when I was in my late teens, early twenties. Right. And um, no amount of altar calls could fix it. Yeah. You know, every Friday I was like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had sexual thoughts again about a guy that I like in the band who was my husband. You know, it was like, <laughs> and I was like, every Friday I'm like, okay, here I am. God, sorry for my, for being a woman. Oh, <laughs> Essentially yeah. that's what I was, I didn't know I was saying. So, but if we had safe containers to mentor our young people, then maybe they would enter marriage without like the sexual trauma yeah, and without the fear of being judged by their feet. I was just talking to somebody. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to get married and I'm so scared to have sex. That's not, there's a problem with that, right? We yes. have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And um, church, that, that's why I wrote that post some months ago, like churches, you get to do a better job. Yeah. In mentoring young people because science isn't sinful, you know, exactly. I mean, like, but there's a way to frame it so that we can have conversations that are honest and um, compassionate towards young people who are desperately wanting to please God. Yeah. You know, um, but not knowing how Yeah, and not having the healthy theology around it. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's that like, we've grown up where theology and God and, and all of that is separate from yeah. our, our humanity. Yes, our humanness and the biology that we experience, which is exactly ever present. Yeah, yeah, that would be my input with that. And it still is. Like, um, I would love to see that happening, like in churches, in um you know, like um, mentorships with young people. Um, yeah. I'm definitely on the same page with that. Yeah. I'm glad. I think there need to be more advocates like us for that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, my next question goes into like the masculine frame and why is that necessary for us as feminine beings? And why mm. is it that you've discovered or how did you discover that Jesus actually is the ultimate masculine frame that we long for and how did that yeah. like feminine masculine polarity work help you realize this so i started to dabble into polarity around 2019 um so i was looking at a couple of like polarity teachers online and deciding if i was going to work with them um but 
I didn't resonate with a, a lot of the practices within polarity coaching. So I had I, I, I was getting interested in the in the teachings on submission, on feminine right. submission, but not in like the kink, because because a lot of the what we see in the polarity space is like gets into kink. It gets into like um, sub dom kind of stuff. But yeah, I wasn't really interested in that. I was more interested in the uh, and here's a word energetics yes. <laughs> of the yes. masculine and the feminine. So that's what m- my first like dive into polarity. I was interested in the integration uh, in Hieros Gamos, um, which was sacred union, twin flame and all of that. But mm. I never got deep into it because I started to see within the twin flame community, they were using Jesus as like an archetype and they were using Mary Magdalene Oh yeah, as yeah, a yeah. feminine. And honestly, that got me angry <laughs> because she's one of my favorite characters. You know, I may have stopped going to church for uh, for several years, but I never stopped loving like the Bible heroes and the characters. And so I was kind of annoyed. <laughs> I'm like, what are these people doing? You know, like, um, and again, this is not to throw shade at anybody still doing polarity. Okay. But um, it got me interested. What is it about Jesus that these people and they were calling him like Yeshua and, you know, like um, the, the Christic light and whatever, the, the, the Christic uh, Christ and all of that. So it got me interested because, huh, why are they looking at Jesus? And that's what led me to um, in, into the realm of my current coach, like Joel Brown, who I didn't know was a Christian too. Like he was following Jesus, but um he was talking about him in a very different way. And this is where I started to appreciate that Jesus is the embodiment of someone who has integrated human and God, you know, like spirit. Mm. And I started to go again into the life of Jesus. So um, a good book that um, helped me to, reorient myself to Jesus was a book called the case for Christ. And it's a story. It's a movie too. It's a story about a a journalist whose fiance started to believe in Jesus. And he was so angry because he was an atheist and he wanted to disprove this Jesus character. Um, And it's interesting because Jesus is the most documented human being on the face of the planet, right? Everybody Christian or not knows who he, he is mm. because if, and if we were going to go into like not categorize him just into like what the Catholic church, which is the, the main like church entity that controlled and from where everything came from. If we were to explore who he was before the empire of the church came about, he was an individual whose central message was love and truth, love and truth. And ultimately that's what all human beings are seeking. You're in new age, you're seeking truth. You're in personal development, you're seeking, you know, your authentic self, right? You're in religion, you're seeking the path to God, which is like truth. So he embodied it. And, uh, and when I was researching like um, theology and apologetics, these books, watching movies, you know, documentaries about Jesus, it all just kept pointing back to he wanted to integrate 
this relationship that we get to have with God. Because when you look at God, you're looking at objective truth. And objective truth does not go against like the, um, like the free will of other people. Like you don't impose on other people. God never does that. He designed all of us to be creative so that we could have personal agency and authority over ourselves. So that was one. And Jesus modeled that, like um, his personality and how um, documentation and individuals recorded who he was as a person. It recorded a person who was fully human, but at the same time had this unexplainable ability to just stay to his purpose. So that for me ticked off several criteria. He was fully human. He was committed to a mission. So he was in that potential and personal growth and expansion thing that was very important to me. At the same time, he felt and empathized with different kinds of human beings. So for me, he embodied compassion and love but he also, because of the person that he was, inspired people to change. And that for me was also like another check. Like if you want to be a, a person of influence, be like Jesus, because just being around him, people wanted to turn away from their immorality or whatever, mm. you know, hanky panky mm. they were doing, <laughs> you know? So, um, so for me, he set the frame for what it meant to be an excellent human being. And that for me is very masculine because as a, um, the feminine is designed to be led and to be inspired by who she is, be, who she is allowing herself to be led by. And that's how I came to create, you know, to have this um, or to create my frame of Jesus as masculine because I'm feminine. First of all, I'm a woman, but also I feel like human beings Gender aside, we are the feminine to who God is, to who truth and love is. Right. So for me, that's how I explain why Jesus, as the human being who also embodied and was God, became like the most influential person. Like we just spend time with him, whether you are a non-Christian studying his life, I, I guarantee you will be inspired by him. Or you are a Christian studying and trying to embody his life. Of course, you will be inspired by him. And so you can be a man, you can be a woman, but Jesus will provide that frame of who we, of who, how we can be influenced positively. If we're going to talk self, you know, like self-growth and self-development of who we can embody spiritually. If we're going to talk about religion and having a spiritual practice, um, he's just everything. So I want to credit first Joel Brown because I got a lot of this information from him. So check out his podcast, The Unknown God with his colleague, um, Pastor Marcos Torres, because um, a lot of what I've shared is actually um, a lot of their own study through theology and apologetics. And I feel like um, people who don't like church but who are interested in being inspired by God and the person of Jesus, I feel they'll get a lot of answers from that resource right. as well. And it's the Good. way that I have explained it. Yeah. I will put the link in the show notes. 
And with that in mind, like masculine frame, yeah. Why is it why is it something that we need and we like we, we need, for example, now in the new year, and uh-huh. we're doing probably mental housekeeping, which is one thing you could expand on as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. so why why do we need this masculine frame for mm. our feminine desires? Yeah. So um, for this part of the conversation, I think the frame that I want to put here is, again, that um, concept of this realm, this created universe being made up of masculine and feminine aspects, right? So law of polarity requires that for anything to be created, there has to be like opposing forces, right? Right. So uh, male and female, masculine. So I come from there. Um, because I identify, well, I identify as a human being and I consider like the human entity to be feminine in relation to, to the creator, to God. So, um, theologists will say that God didn't need to create anything. He was complete in and of himself, but he wanted to create something just to love that creation. So that's how right. we are. And in the in terms of the archetypes of the masculine and feminine, that's what the feminine is. She is loved by the masculine. Right. Right. So she is held by the masculine. And so mm. when we talk about like, let's say business, something very familiar to me, a lot of women, they come to me, Martine, I would love to have a feminine business. I mean, what does that mean? Well, a feminine business, in my definition, means that it's a business that you love to do because it's connected to your passion, your gifts, and your expression. But because it's a business, it has to perform. If we were just going to, if I was just going to be on Instagram all day, sharing my posts, all the pretty pictures and everything, um, and I wasn't like advertising that I was a coach, then it would be a hobby. It would just be pure feminine expression. Right. Right. But because I am a coach and I've been a coach for a while now, like 10 years, there's a masculine part to that that creates results. So what creates results in my business is delivering value and results with clients, right? Having mentorship sessions, teaching women how to create a business from their talents and skills. And then I get paid for that. That's a frame for the femininity content that I have, right? Mm, you know, so there's mm. a, that content actually has a part that creates results. Right. It's not just, you know, like um, something that, that I, well, I, I do enjoy it or else I wouldn't be doing it, right? But there's a masculine aspect to that. And so that's an example of if you were, or, or another example that doesn't have to do anything with money, Um, let's say you're a woman and you decided to become a wife and a mother, right? Um, How does frame fit into that? Well, I mean, if you're going to raise your children, you're not just going to let them like run around and, you know, just like be, um, be subject to every whim and pleasure. You're going to have frame. You're going to say, okay, honey, this is our bedtime. Every day you're going to like fix your room and brush your teeth, you know, these are frames. These are frames. So being a mother, being a parent, you also apply some type of frame. And in terms of masculinity and femininity, frame 
falls under the masculine aspect because the masculine is always about the container, right? What holds something. The feminine is the essence that is poured into that. Um, one of my friends, Juliet, uses the example of the masculine being a picture frame, but the feminine being the artwork. Right. I love right. that because, like, um, it 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 just describes kind of like what the differences are between what is masculine and what is feminine. And so, yeah, for anything to create a result, there has to be an integration of masculine and feminine. Um, I always joke, we're not Virgin Marys, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't just like, I'm pregnant, you know, we're, right. you know, we have sex with our husbands and we create a baby together. So if we're going to, dial it down the context it would be that right the feminine can't create on her own so she needs structure she needs order she needs a direction she needs a goal to frame that desire right and i could go on and on about that but that's the easiest way to describe why we need frame it's yeah. so that our expressions yeah. can birth creation right yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that it's not like, just, you know, floating around and never getting anywhere with anything. I love right. this. Yeah, this has been so good. So good. So good. Like I've been enjoying it. Loving just listening and making notes. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Amazing. I mean, these are topics that I feel like are not talked about a lot. There's not a lot of like, like this is a conversation that I really purposely wanted to like create this um, mm. container essentially for it because it needs to I get think out it's there. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's awesome that you're doing this. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I enjoy doing it. So it's not, yeah. it's like any, any last words before we wrap this up, any last mm. like um, exhortations for women as they step into 2022 feeling like wanting to bring out and cultivate that feminine essence in themselves and being free, like feminine Mm. and free. How do we go into 2022 with that in mind? Oh, wow. Okay. So um, I would say like the first recommendation would be to decide what it is you want to feel and embody by the end of 2022. Mm, right right decide what it so am I going to embody like more vitality that's very specific right am I going to embody waking up in the morning energized and able to exercise right so these are embodiments right am I going to embody by the end of 2022 to have my podcast set up or to have um, my book manuscript written right or to um have my house fixed. So these are all very specific expressions of what the feminine desires, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then in a jump to that, right? Set up the frames so that you can embody that desire and it becomes a reality. So do you need, like if somebody wants to embody vitality and a healthy metabolism, does she need to hire a coach or like a mentor? in terms of nutrition and metabolic function, right? The same with a person who wants to launch a podcast or write her book. Does she need Mm. like, like to be part of a mastermind so that there are people that can hold her accountable every step of the way. Right. Right. So that's a beautiful combination of 
desire, which is feminine, right? I want this. I desire that. I, I feel like I would love to have this. And then applying the frame to make it happen, mm. you know, to, to work steadily towards that birth of yeah. whatever that is. Yes. Right. So, yes. um, and experiencing that paradigm shift. Yeah. 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 And, and also having the gratitude every day that we are embracing the process. I think a lot of where our feminine chaos comes from is the feeling of like, I've not achieved something that I want, or I don't feel like I've done enough. I think the third like recommendation I would have was to practice receivership through gratitude, right? Practice right. receivership. So receivership is the ultimate state of the feminine. I mean, yeah. going back to what we said about Eve, right? How would have how would Eve have existed if she were to have existed as perfectly designed to just receive, to just be in a state of receptivity. And that's why a lot of polarity people talk about like the feminine is like the leaning back receptive energy. Totally true. Totally true. Right. So um, if we have like, um, like space in our day for anything, it could be for gratitude and for that receptive mode yeah right that is fully feminine mm. yeah so time for gratitude have a journal where you can just like every day like write down what it is that you are experiencing gratitude for yeah exactly Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much, Martine, for being here and being so generous with your time. Absolutely. I truly appreciate it. And I really Absolutely. hope that this episode will bless those that it's meant to bless. 